your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope. Brought to you by the Sensory Learning Center with host and mother of a recovering child with autism, Betsy Hicks. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Betsy and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Betsy Hicks. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Today we will be talking about a treatment approach to autism known as RDI. RDI stands for Relationship Development Intervention, and it's taking off throughout the world as a successful approach to interacting with children and adults with autism. Our guest today is my good friend Tom Brown. He is the Executive Director of Autism and Behavioral Support Center in Auburn Hills, Michigan. Tom's a psychologist with over 25 years' experience with both adults and children with developmental disabilities and mental illnesses. He is a certified relationship development intervention program consultant and as well as a well-known international public speaker and, of course, a wonderful therapist with these children. Tom, thank you so much for joining our show today. You're welcome. Pleasure to be here. There are so many different types of therapy out there, and it seems that as autism grows, the th- types of therapies are growing as well. Can you tell me what is, maybe it's best to first start with what is RDI, and why is it so different than so many other different types of therapy? I think probably the, the biggest difference between RDI and a lot of the traditional approaches that we've been using is that what we try to do is we try to treat what are known as the core deficits of autism rather than just build in a short-term compensation for the children. So we're actually looking at what the deficits of autism are, as generally recognized by developmental psychologists around the world, and then targeting those deficits and treating them. That sounds definitely very different. So what are the deficits that you're... Are you speaking of when the deficits you're speaking of it really is customized to the child? Well, actually... All people on the spectrum kind of have the same deficits, and those deficits include um, difficulty with emotional referencing, inability to gaze people's faces for information, um, social co-regulation where they have difficulty with spontaneous and regulated speech and movement with others, okay. as well as uh, experience-based communication, describing an event that's happening now and, and not necessarily scripting on a... Um, cartoon or TV show, and one of the biggest deficits is actually what we call uh, with autobiographical or episodic memory, um, where they have difficulty with a memory of emotional events that are positive. There's a lot of negative memories in there, but building on the positive emotional memories really gives them a a good firm foundation to move forward on. That's interesting. How do you... I guess if a child is verbal, it's you can find out what those positive pieces are. I mean, are you working with children that are just ba- do they have to have some baseline criteria in order for RDI to be effective, or can you start with any child that's on the spectrum? No, we can start actually with any child or adult that's on the spectrum. And sure. the way we um, incorporate the episodic memory is through the use of videos we take 
photographs, spotlighting or highlighting emotional memory or moment and making that stand out, and then repeating that a little bit later on so it's encoded in the memory. Can you um, work to help get rid of the memory of a, of a bad memory? Um, yes, they start to... What will happen is over time, the child will actually build up a storage bank of more positive emotional memories. When we go through a real negative experience, you're like, I hate to pick on dentists, but going to the dentist is usually one of them. <laughs> uh, and uh, when we go to the dentist, it's really an anxiety-provoking moment for a lot of people, including sure. children. And because of neurologically and biochemically what happens with us, those negative memories are really stored. But... Um, because our children have difficulty with the emotional and social aspects of relationships, the more positive memories are the ones that they have the most difficulty with. Okay. I want uh, to encourage callers to call in today because um, Tom would love to answer your questions. Our phone number here at Voice America is 866-472-5792. Please don't be afraid to call in. Um, we really welcome we welcome those calls. I know Tom. He's not a scary man. Um, most days, <laughs> Tom. Let's let's talk more about. Um, I'd, I'd like you to give me a case example. I think to, to help people visualize what would be typically done, what um, might be helpful. So, if a parent comes to you and they have this child and they're saying a few words, but not a lot of words, just you know a few basic type words. Um, you know the child's there. I mean, you've, you've worked with the child. You can see that there's definitely um, a drive for interaction, but it just hasn't been tapped into. Tell me what type of approach you would take at that point. Um, we Actually, we do several things. Um, one of them is during the assessment process, I'm actually looking to see where some of the developmental milestones may have been missed. Usually the onset of autism is, you know, between 1 to 24 months, and those are very critical timelines for uh, typical development. And even if a child is 15 years old, they may have some skills that were missed back at 6 months old. So sure. during that assessment, I'm looking to, to see where those bumps in the road are. So if, if a child came in during the assessment process, I would look into that and then we basically design a treatment program for the family to follow at home because this is a real family-based approach. And during that, we do things like uh, increase the zone of connection so we're closer. We use movement. We use uh, touching of hands to face. Uh, we use spotlighting to bring out the emotional uh, memory of that event. And one of the big factors, too, is getting a child to get in regulation with us and, and to stay in sync because... Quite frequently when you take a walk with one of our kids, they're usually like 10 or 20 feet in front of you, <laughs> and, not, and they're not side by side. So we set up a very specific intervention plan for this child and the family to follow. And some of the nice things that happen is that um, if you would have told me this five years ago, I would have said you're nuts. But right now I've got about five kids who are ready to come off the spectrum. I've had kids who are joining baseball teams having friends over for sleepovers and things that before I never even dreamed were possible. That is just awesome. Okay, so in building that whole trust piece, is there a lot of sensory integration involved? Is there, is there uh, I mean, how are you making the child feel comfortable? And that, I would assume, depends on the child. 
Um, actually, it's very easy because this is a very gentle, loving approach that does not use any consequences on behavior and um, meets the child where he is at or she, okay. and then we move forward from there. Um, so if a child is stimming, and, mm-hmm. and it's, you're, you're, in a, see, you're in a room with them, and the child is just pacing back and forth and stimming, um, yes. you're basically just very calmly sitting on the floor with a bunch of things to hopefully engage them and hope to bring them towards you. Right. And what, what I would do and what I actually do in those cases when a kid's going around the room 150 miles an hour or stemming right. on the lights, what I try to do is I get, try to get them into a very close connection with me, usually within two to three feet. We repeat some familiar regulatory pattern that we've established before, such as just, I call it fixing the old man's back, where we sit on the floor and it's basically push-pull, where we tug on each other and push back and forth, use lots of pauses, hesitations, uh, smiles, and get the child into a regulatory pattern with me while I am also verbally um, going through a, a little bit of a regulation with them, too. And is the parent present for this? Yes. Mm-hmm. And the parent is encouraged through the session to be involved or just, just oh, yes. watch and then do it when they get home? No, absolutely. Um, what we try to do is make sure that the parents are up to speed on what we need to do before they leave. And so that hopefully that uh, I act as a guide for the parent at home and they can incorporate some of these things in their daily life. And one of the things that's really nice is that in some typical therapies, I mean, you may spend like eight hours a day trying to do discrete trial learning, but with the RDI stuff, what we do is we fit in everyday moments, um, for instance, like taking clothes to the laundry or setting the table or taking the dishes out of the dishwasher and turn those into therapeutic moments. So we can actually use you know two to three minute intervals throughout the day to accomplish what we need to get to. Tom, I was once told that if a child doesn't speak before the age of seven, that um, you need to teach them language in a whole new way. Um, is is that something that you find is generally true? Like they have to learn language as a foreign language after, if they're learning after the age of seven. Um, well, one of the chief deficits is that a lot of times... Um, Children and adults will have the imperative communication, such as the commands. But for a child who has uh, very little communication, one of the the best tools to use is what we call experience-based communication or declarative statements. And declarative statements are really inviting statements like, let's go swimming. So you're describing the event to the child. You're including them in on your world and vice versa. And at the same time, what it does, too, is it's not as alerting as what the imperative communication is, and it gives them the experience of that moment. And often what happens is that if a child will only have a few words when they come in, uh, they start to learn more experience-based communication based on what we're doing with them. It's so much better than, than say, ball, say, yeah. ball. Or, yeah. Sit down, yeah, or come right. here, or, right, right. I know. <laughs> or I'm tired of this like, stuff. My, <laughs> my son's 13 years old. He's like, enough with the ABCs and counting to 20. Yeah. Um, I, so I, I I really understand it. So the reason I'd ask that question in this sequence is because um, my, I'm, I'm just wondering, once again, if the approach is a little different if the child's under seven as opposed to a child who's over 
seven in, in working to the communication part? No, that would be basically saying is we all use the um I encourage parents to use and train them on how to use the declarative or more experience based communication. Okay. I've watched actually I've watched miles of video of kids and as soon as parents go to the imperative communication like come here or sit down or I don't want to hear this anymore, you can see the child actually just tune right out. Oh and and when we use more experienced, gentler communication they come with us. That would make sense. We have to stop communicating for a moment, take a quick break. Uh, When we get back, we're going to talk to Tom more about um, how this therapy might be beneficial for you and your child. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Tom Brown. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. Omega Institute is the country's leading center for holistic studies. Now you can experience selected workshops from Omega in the comfort of your own home. Join us for a live web broadcast with John Friend, the founder of Anasara Yoga. In this dynamic workshop, we learn a Hatha Yoga system that is a celebration of the heart and looks for the good in all people and all things. To find out more about our live web broadcast, log on to our website, www.eomega.org. That's www.eomega.org. Or call us at 800-944-1001. That's 800-944-1001. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On Mind, Brain, and Body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Hi, this is Mark Victor Hansen. You know me for Chicken Soup of the Soul, the One Minute Millionaire, and Cracking the Millionaire Code. And what I want you to know is that if you want to have rip-roaringly good health, listen to Health Crusades by my friend John Farley. Tune in to Health Crusades with John Farley every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, only on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. Welcome back. 
we are talking right now with Tom Brown, a psychologist who's talking about relationship development intervention, better known as RDI. Uh, and Tom, I'm learning a lot already. Um, I want you. To, I'm hoping you're going to teach me a couple tricks before we we finish today. But, At least, <laughs> at least a couple. Um, I. It, it, we're talking right now a little bit about the sequence of, of, of how you're working with so many of these children, and, and I would like to learn a couple of the tricks. Here's one of the tricks that um, my husband, who you know, Dr. John Hicks, and and I, well, he sees with his patients, and I see with my son, and one of the hardest things is flexibility. And getting rid of the rigid, um, what is in their mind and what they are expecting to do versus... Right having that flexibility. What do you, how do you work with that? Well, first of all, you have to understand why they're inflexible. Um, and what we look at is that uh, kids on the spectrum and adults have a great deal of difficulty operating in what's called a dynamic world. So we live in a dynamic world that changes every moment. And even our conversation now, we have to regulate with each other, pick up on cues from each other, and start to regulate it. So it's dynamic and changing. And one of the big, um, one of the deficits of children on the spectrum is that they have difficulty with being uh, flexible, and they prefer to stay in what's called a static system, where things stay the same, where things are predictable. And when they can control that, then that really lessens their anxiety level a lot. Sure. Um, at times, I've taken the pulse of some kids just during brief transitions in play. And you'll notice that their heart rate will really jump up and their pupils will dilate because they're getting an adrenaline rush. But what we really try to do with the flexibility is we work within what are called frameworks where we may have a little activity that we're playing with. And, um, for instance, I'll go back to that push-pull I did where we just tug on each other on a beanbag. That's a framework. And in that framework, what we do is we start to introduce small changes at a time. And one of the changes we might introduce would be to bring another person into the picture. And so we have a three-person tug of, you know, back and forth. And by working in the framework, we create a situation where there's elements that stay the same and there's some elements that have just started to change a little bit. So we gently uh, allow the child to adapt to the elements of change just a little bit at a time. So throughout the whole process of treatment, what it is is building in the flexibility, mm-hmm. getting rid of the rigidity and the control by using these simple methods, and then also by getting the, the child to reference back to the adult for the information on their face that everything's safe, everything's okay, and actually everything's fun. So what about... Uh, let's, let's, let's use this as an example into riding in a car. And now all of a sudden you're taking a turn different than what the child expected and you're going to drop off so and so or pick up so and so and this is not where the child thought they were going to go. Um, what, what, what's the parent's best way to prepare and deal with that? Well, actually one of the big things that's really kind of fun to do is that we intentionally make mistakes. Right. And we make mistakes with the idea of repairing them. So if you if you turn the wrong way, I'd say something like, oops, we're going the wrong way. And with that, then I'd say, what should we do now? And you can either keep going the wrong way or you can start to correct it back to where you wanted to go. Right. 
um, if sometimes too, if the child is old enough, we actually give them a map to follow, so sure. they can kind of point out where to go, and then the parent will intentionally make those mistakes. Um, so the important part was making a mistake and building in the recovery from that mistake and repairing it. Um, and along with that, we are also again working on that issue of flexibility right. and getting rid of some of the control problems. So, but. but what if, what if the flexibility is a matter of, uh, okay, I, I'm speaking firsthand here because mm-hmm. I'm visualizing a situation that happens quite frequently in my home. And that is, number one, that I, I probably too often try to make everything go right for my son. Right. So that he doesn't get used to flexibility. Mm-hmm. That would be number one. And then number two, the the big piece is, you know, we're riding in the car, and then um, I you know I have two other daughters, so we're always picking them up or dropping them off, and he just he doesn't know enough of what to expect. And I've tried text cards before, and all different ideas of ways to help him. And I and I te- and I know he understands cognitively. Mm-hmm. He really does understand. I think when I when I'm telling him, but yet it's just. It's just too unpredictable for him. So I guess probably I'm answering my own question in that my biggest mistake is that I do make things predictable for him in the first place. Well, part of it is, you know, as adults, what we learn to do is we really learn to compensate for our kids and to build our life around some of the idiosyncrasies that they may have. Yes. Which, in actuality, really makes things more inflexible. <laughs> well, I couldn't agree more. That, I mean, that's my big fight with food, is that, you know, parents just completely cater to what their child wants to eat and makes them so inflexible to the point where they have to live by the five foods that they, you know, give their that's child. Right. So, yeah, I, I'm totally with you there. So, I'm two, sorry, keep two, going. Two things. Two things to remember. One is that you're also building in the episodic memories of saying, Wow, we're going to you know Sarah's house first, so that he has an emotional memory of going to Sarah's house. Okay. And then we also boost up other parts of the episodic memory by other things we do around the house, so that they're able to reach back into that pile to drag it out and say, "Well, this is okay. We've done this before." But most of it is because of the change creates such huge amounts of anxiety. And then the inability to use the episodic memory effectively. One of the things I've found that's been really beneficial is is using using a combination of with with the children we're working with them uh, of movements we get in regulation physically, emotional gazing uh, at the adult's face, as well as referencing the face, and then using uh, our verbal language of the declarative language. And we get all of that moving at the same time. It really seems as though the brain itself starts to form a gestalt or a whole, where after a while things will start to work in unison instead of just in bits and pieces, kind of like what we see right now. Yeah, and that's exactly right. All right, well, that makes a lot of sense. What's your feeling about facilitated communication devices? Um, I've, two things. One is that I've, I've seen some amazing things happen with that. Um, and there are definitely some kids who need that, uh, and some kids who just, uh, flourish with it. And some of the things that they come out with will just knock you off your socks. The other thing that you have to be really careful of is that, uh, I've also seen the other side of it where, uh, 
we're not particularly sure that this is exactly what the kid had on his mind, but it may be somebody who's facilitating it. And I, I have seen some cases go the other way, too. So it, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Um, but one of the key indicators is that if the language is more appropriate for a child that age and the circumstances and the way they're describing it, then it seems to be a little bit more acceptable to me. But when I get, a, a say, like an 8-year-old kid who can suddenly have a vocabulary of uh, a college graduate, then that seems a little iffy to me. So you're saying if the child has, if the child does get an immediate vocabulary that's much better from from the communication device, you're saying that that is when. That's when I be a little bit more suspect, right. and um, I'm always suspect too when there's some kind of blaming going on and um, some kind of touchy circumstances. Such as. Uh, well, I've. I've We've actually, we've been to court over some issues where people have been accused of uh, sexual abuse and physical abuse and, right, and right. things like that. And but on the other side, I, I have seen, like I said, I've seen some amazing things. Right. That would make it worth it. What, of, of the types of facilitated um, communication devices that are out there, is there any one particular that you like more than others? Uh, well, actually, I just had, I've got one kid in a group right now kid. He's 18. <laughs> so he's well, an adult. Well, for you, <laughs> yeah. <as a> kid. <laughs> uh, He's 18, and actually he has, a, uh, on the back of a binder, he has the uh, alphabet and some symbols, and boy, that really works for him, and Ross goes on a thing like lightning. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So that works really good, good for Ross, but the um, I have seen some of the other ones work very nice, too. Right. So actually, simple things can work very well. Certainly, it doesn't have to be a, a lot. No, uh-uh. it doesn't have to be a three thousand dollar thing. It'll talk at you. No. What about in cases of dyspraxia, where they just is, is that just a matter of practice in, in, with RDI? Um, well, certainly, it, it, practice does help. But again, when we use that more experience based communication, then we're in the moment. Yeah, I, I really do understand what you mean by that. That's that's important to be in the moment. It's, a, it's so much more purposeful. And it, uh, and it, it includes the child in the moment, and that's the most important feature. <laughs> right. Right, right. Well, I would think it, it just keeps the child much more engaged. It does, yes. And actually, it's more fun for the parents. One of the recent studies that came out with the uh, RDI stuff is that um, Typically what happens is mom's usually in charge of doing all the therapies. And after we get the parents in here, the latest statistics have come out is that 90% of the fathers are now engaged with their children. Really? And when I look back at that, I, I, I tried to reason out in my own head, and I think that what happens with parents a lot of times is that when they get the diagnosis of autism, it just you know cuts their legs off, and yeah. they don't they feel incompetent, and they don't know how to interact with their child. And by giving them some of the basic exercises we do to work on treating some of the core deficits, we again make the parent feel more competent. Right. And they end up playing together. That's the most precious thing you can ask for. We are going to take a quick break. Um, when we get back, I wanted to t- have Tom tell you some places of where maybe you can get in touch with an RDI um consultant in your area, and then also uh, maybe a few tips for doing it, but I, I also want to talk to you, Tom, about 
the school versus okay. RDI and, and how to face all of that part as well. And then maybe give us a couple case examples. We'll be right back with Tom Brown and discussion about RDI. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. The pressures to be thin or ideal go beyond the Hollywood headlines. In fact, those suffering from eating disorders in the U.S. number in the millions, and eating disorders such as anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and binge eating are more common than Alzheimer's disease. Eating disorders affect men, women, adolescents, as well as young children. On Understanding Eating Disorders, Dr. Tom Scales, an internist and psychiatrist, uncovers the causes and characteristics of various eating disorders and shares his expertise on current treatment approaches. Expert guests and personal stories from some who have recovered reveal the depth of emotional conflicts of these dangerously obsessive conditions and the resolutions that work. Tune in to Understanding Eating Disorders with Dr. Tom Scales every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Understanding Eating Disorders, the cycle of eating disorders, can be broken. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Betsy. Welcome back. We are here with Tom Brown and talking about RDI. Uh, Tom, let's first let people know, and we'll repeat this again at the very end, but where do people get more in understanding as to what RDI is as well as maybe find a therapist in their area? There's uh, two sources. One is the Connection Center itself, and their website is www.rdiconnect.com, and there will be a list of the 96 consultants around the world. Okay. And the second place is at our website, which is, and it's going to be all one word, autismsupportcenter.org. And that's a great website. You have a lot of uh, information there that I um, was able to good. to learn about before doing the show today. Um, okay, good. Now let's... Uh, the schools and... Mm-hmm. 
Schools are a problem. I, <laughs> <laughs> that, that was just like, how do we gently go into this subject? Um, I, this isn't conducive to the way they teach at all. No, it isn't. And um, actually, uh, I hate to say this, but schools can be rather immovable at times and uh, inert. Uh, what we usually try to do is that in most cases the child will be with a parapro or in a special needs classroom, and so we try to work with the parapro and integrate some of the RDI ideas with that. And quite frankly, I've got a number of parents who are doing homeschooling, and the kids who are in the homeschooling are just, they're doing remarkably well. Yeah, and but I tell you what, Tom, that's a hard thing to do. I mean, it's it is, hard yes. to deal with. You know, it's it's a break for so many. It's their chance to deal with their other help their other children, especially if they have younger siblings. And that's a really hard. Is it a requirement to to um, pull out of the school system? Oh no, uh-uh. no, no. What we I've actually we have a, a protocol that we follow to help the schools along with it. Now, oh, that's good. No, the determining factor is if they're willing. Right. <laughs> um, and then in some cases. Will they at least supplement a portion of the program if it's done at home? Yes. Um, in some cases, we've got some schools who are actually doing uh, some of the RDI stuff with some of the children. So there's, I think it's a learning curve, and RDI has been around probably for about 10 years now, and it's really exploded within the last five years. And one thing as a professional, you know, you get used to doing things in your own certain routine and you think that's the world, but uh, sometimes we have to look outside the box and find where the rest of the world is. <laughs> do you have to have a special room in your home or do you have to prep your home in any way to... No, uh, I, actually what we do because of the, we use everyday moments is that you can go anywhere from the garage to the, you know, attic. <laughs> right, right. And... Uh, and in essence, uh, do a lot of the work that we need to uh, do. Now, a parent, obviously, especially if they have other children, can't be with the child all the time. No. So do you uh, typically recommend bringing in, uh, and do they have to be trained therapists or they can be high school, college students? We have um, people who are assistants uh, who come into the homes to help, and they, along with the parent, can help the child. There's also cases where, um, for instance, I've got kids who've got an older sibling, and that older sibling sometimes is almost like a natural therapist, and they pick up on this stuff real fast, and they start to incorporate it with their sibling, and actually, I think children learn better from other kids, and it goes really fast. Yeah, uh, my son's twin sister um, is one of his best therapists. Yes, yeah. I agree to that. Okay, so um, I, I would like to hear about some case examples that you have. Mm-hmm. You know what, before I ask, have you do a case example, can I, can I ask the, the question, which of course is burning in my own head, because um, for those who don't know, my, my husband, Dr. John Hicks, has an office where Tom Brown um, works out of, which is why we share a lot of common patients. But um, I, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not asking this question for our own business, but because there's a lot of you have a lot of um, mm-hmm. children that you work with that see, see other doctors as well. Sure, that's but right. Do you find the children that have 
some sort of biomedical treatment, are on a gluten-casein-free diet, or some sort of a special diet, do you find that those children respond faster? Uh, actually, I do. Um, and I think when I've gone, actually, I've gone with RDI stuff to India, South Africa, and I've watched a lot of things happen. And I've noticed that when the kid's body is not in sync, they're not getting the right nutrition, they're not producing the right neurotransmitters, then it makes my job probably about 50% more difficult. And when we can solve some of the issues that the children have biomedically and stabilize that, then then everything sails a lot better. When a when a parent comes to you, and, and this is something I hear a lot, Tom, and, and they you know understandably completely, there's only so much budget to go around. So, um, do you usually recommend if a parent just gets a diagnosis? Um, that, that's always the hard piece, is where do they start? Is it the chicken, you know, or the egg yes, type of uh-huh. thing? Um, where do you usually recommend them to, to start off? Well, there's a couple things. One is that I really do encourage them to, to at least look at some of the issues biomedically as a baseline to see you know, what's going on with their child. And, you know, that ranges from the hair tests for the metals and, and how they respond to certain diets right. or what, you know, food preferences they have or what they can't stand or what comes out the other end. <laughs> sure. um, but then also one of the really nice things is that RDI is that as the parents become more competent, they need me less and less. So actually expense-wise, it's a lot cheaper than doing a lot of other traditional therapies too. I would really believe, I truly believe that because there's something about going to a speech therapist once a week where you drop off your child and you take off and have that, you know, brief moment, relaxation, (laughs) and then um, come back and get it and then see you next week, that just doesn't fully resonate with me as far as that's going to be, you know, you've got to carry things on at home. It's just not that half hour to an, even if it's 50 minutes per week, is just not going to fully cut it if you're really trying to, pull your child into a world of communication. No, exactly. And I really think speech therapists in many cases would agree with that, too. I mean, they, they're they doing what insurance is dictating for them to do. They don't really have a lot of choice in this matter. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, half, half an hour a week is... That's, no, that's, but when you incorporate cool. this stuff into your lifestyle, that's when you're going to get the most mileage out of it. Absolutely. Right. And you can take a kid to see a therapist once a week, and quite frankly, it's going to have almost no effect. But if you incorporate these things into your lifestyle, then you're going to have a dramatic effect. Um, you don't need this. Is, I've repeated this time and time again. Um, in that, to, to find therapists to, to work on something such as this, um, you don't need to be spending a lot of money on. Um, as Tom said, even on even adults, you can even work with some children that might be interested. Of course, they're a little more unreliable when when they're going to show up. Um, but you know, I I'm I've always been a big um, believer in getting high school students and college students that I could afford a little bit easier to come in, and um, I've I've seen great I've had great reliability mm-hmm. with both. So don't feel that you have to be spending thirty dollars no. an hour for somebody to come into your home. No, or even you know, and actually one of the, the really nice issues is that because we can only 
you can only need to do this two to three minutes when you're taking the dishes out of the dishwasher, yeah. and, there, and then you've done something. Uh, so even for people who can't afford to have somebody come in and help them out, you can take and grab those three minutes, five minutes here and there. And tell me, tell me about it. taking dishes out of the dishwasher, and tell me, just give me a little. <laughs> Don't drop them. That's another <laughs> one thing. <laughs> I, I just want to uh, know. Yeah. I just want to hear your words. Sure. What we what we do is, um, you wouldn't automatically just keep passing the dishes back and forth. But you build in a lot of pauses, hesitations. You try to put maybe a dish in the spoon drawer. You do something wrong. You try to correct your mistakes. Put a dish on top of your head. So what you're getting the child to do is, number one, get in regulation with you, a back-and-forth routine, reference you for the emotion part of the fun, reference you for the instructions, and also reference you for the repair part of it for when you do something that's stupid and out of line. And in the process of doing that, we also build in the flexibility issue because we're working in that same framework of unloading a dishwasher, but we've introduced some new things like, Mom put the you know plate in the drawer that the silverware goes into, and that's not supposed to happen. <laughs> yeah, and then they have to understand what was done correctly. And, well, then Mom would say something like, "Oops, you know, I messed up," and then we just go ahead and correct it. But taking those moments yeah. really builds on the referencing, on the regulation, on the emotional connection, and we use the declarative speech throughout that process too. So that's an example of three well, when or five your child, minutes. When your child takes off, you know, when you're doing something like that and you can't keep your child in the room with you to do it, mm-hmm. um, should you just aim for, even if it's just like you said, one minute, and then maybe the next time you get a minute and a half? Sure. Or sometimes one of my favorite things are the bean bags. Um, and those bean bags are really my high-tech tool um, because you can put a child in a bean bag and it's hard for them to kind of like move out. It's also hard for me to move out. <laughs> Essentially, you've got a a captive audience that you can work with for a few moments. And those bean bags, you can pile them high and make a mountain, and you can throw them at somebody. And so they're they're a wonderful object, and they're actually the thing that I use the most. That's great. All right, we're going to take another break, Tom. Um, We'll get back. We will eventually talk about a case study. Oh, a case example. So when we get back, we'll talk with Tom Brown about the case example of RDI. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. We had a wonderful experience in our trip to the Sensory Learning Institute, and the main issue to sum everything up is that we went there with a child who was out of control and hyper, who had severe sensory issues and autistic tendencies, and we brought home a child who was vastly different. We brought home a child who plays with me and talks to me and looks in my eyes and tells me he loves me. The goal and focus of the sensory learning program is to enable the central nervous system to better process sensory information by simultaneously stimulating visual, auditory, and vestibular systems with light, sound, and motion. By challenging these three sensory systems to work together and adapt to multi-sensory input, this intervention often improves speech, perception, understanding, social interaction, coordinated movement, and the ability to learn. We invite all parents interested in sensory learning program for a child to complete the confidential assessment on our website at www.sensorylearning.com. 
Omega Institute is the country's leading center for holistic studies. Now you can experience selected workshops from Omega in the comfort of your own home. Join us for a live web broadcast with John Friend, the founder of Anasara Yoga. In this dynamic workshop, we learn the Hatha Yoga system that is a celebration of the heart and looks for the good in all people and all things. To find out more about our live web broadcast, log on to our website, www.eomega.org. That's www.eomega.org. Or call us at 800-944-1001. That's 800-944-1001. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Betsy. We are back with Tom Brown talking about RDI, and let's talk about some of these wonderful relationships that you've developed with a lot of your patients. First off, for those of you who don't know Tom, um, I'm, I'm sorry for that because Tom is a remarkable man. I've known him for quite a few years and I have seen the relationship he has with a lot of his um, patients. And it's, it's remarkable to, to see him in action because kids are so drawn to you, Tom. I mean, I have seen you on the floor with fire trucks and <laughs> doing your beep beeps through the hallway and um, a, a, lot of, a lot of what others would consider crazy things. But you have taught me some wonderful tools about communication. Well, you have to let your inner child come out. You do. <laughs> and I'm so glad you're in touch with that. Um, I, 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 ha- I do think that, you know, as an adult sometimes, I just like, oh, I just can't do that stuff anymore. I get kind of, it's just, I, I need to be an adult right now. But um, I, I, I love the way my son interacts with me when I am on the floor. Yeah, and something yeah, definitely. And, and that's rewarding all on its own. So tell me about some of your patients and where they were and where they've come because of RDI. Um, I've got um, well, actually quite a few. That um, One kid in particular named Tom came in when he was about eight years old, was um, not really in tune with anybody around him, scripting a lot on dinosaurs and cartoons and things like that. Um, having some difficulty at school, paying attention. He had a, a case of ADHD also. And over the course of about a year, uh, through the exercises and assignments we did with the parents and things that uh, we did when Tom came in the office, um, one of the things that happened with him was that he didn't need an aid anymore in school. The difficulty with the attention dropped down to the point where we could cut his medication in half. And he had developed, he's developed a friendship with another kid at school and they've gone back and forth to each other's home. And one of the big things that he's really proud of was this year he was on a baseball team. Oh, that's funny. And, uh, I've got a picture of him with his baseball bat and his team right above my head right now. And, oh, uh, that's wonderful to hear. Do you, um, do social groups? Um, we, uh, we, when kids get to a certain level in the RDI program, it's called stage eight, then we develop what are called dyads where we have two kids or three kids of about the same grouping come in and then we work on the relationship and building uh, interactions together. But there's really some foundation skills we have to build in first before they're ready. You just can't kind of throw them into the ocean. 
Yeah, I would think so. And because you want it to be always a positive experience, mm-hmm. keep those and positive thoughts coming. Some of the some of the nice things that happen too is some of the case examples. Uh, I've got a kid four years old who uh, has been coming in for almost a year now, and prior to this, his communication was largely one to two words, but now he is uh, up to full sentences using declarative statements and experience-based communication. Uh, he's playing with the other kids, referencing them, getting into regulation with them, going along with the crowd, looking behind him to see who's chasing them. So it's, when you see these things happen, it really sometimes brings a tear to your eye. I can imagine. I definitely, I don't think there's any greater joy in the world than when you open up a child's world. Yes, and, and it's been really remarkable. It's fun, too. <laughs> and your work... Um, in other countries. Tell me about that. Uh, See, so I've been to India twice. I uh, was the Autism Society in India. It's called the uh, Action for Autism. Sponsored my last trip there, and I was in New Delhi and Calcutta, and gave two lectures and saw probably about ten families. And recently, I got back from a trip to uh, South Africa, where I worked with three families down there. And one of the, in spite of the language difference of uh, some of the people in India. You have to remember that every person on the spectrum still has the same core deficits that you're treating. So it's essentially the same, different language sometimes, but same process. So so do you have an interpreter? No, um, English is actually their primary language in in India. A lot of them also speak Hindi. um, But there are some cultural differences. When I was in... South Africa, people are not as spontaneous as they are in the United States, so I had to build up the parents' emotions a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I need to, to indulge in my selfish moment of the minute, um, which is I, I, have, I have advice I'd like you to give me about um, something I'm dealing with with my son, and that is um, when he was severe and very sick, and he, he used to be a very, very sick child, um, he would watch videos, and of course, that that was his whole world uh-huh. with his videos. Okay, that's right. He's he's tremendously healthy now. He's um, opening up new doors every day. We're so excited to see what's coming out of him. But every now and then, he'll pick up a video, um, and and I've thrown three quarters of them away. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> <laughs> But he'll see something that reminds him of the video or hear something that reminds him of the video, and it's as if he goes right back to yep. where he was. Mm-hmm. So, two, two things. <laughs> One is that uh, I, I, limit, I tell parents to try to limit video time and computer time to 20 minutes a day. Okay. And the second thing is when a kid starts to engage in that, what I do is I gently reach in there, throw out a declarative statement of, wow, I need some help with, and then gradually pull them along with me to go do something very brief so we have a brief interaction with each other. We're sharing in that moment the expressions, regulating with each other, and that generally, and actually I do the same thing for when kids have some uh, meltdown or some temper issues too. Okay, because he'll go, he'll go on for 20 minutes yeah. just screaming. So, and, and I have tried diverting his attention before, but mm-hmm. he, he just, I mean, he's so, it's it's almost as if he's not there. No, that's right, because they're lost in that inner world that they remember and that static system that for them is very comfortable. And that's why we have to be very inviting, very gentle with what we do, make a safe approach, and then guide them out of it into something that's more interactive with others. 
Okay, and to be gentle. It's a hard thing, Tom. It's easier said than done when when you have a child. When you're in the moment, yes. <laughs> Being gentle can, you know, it's easy. I, what I typically see patterns with parents is for the first five minutes, yeah. They're very <laughs> they're gentle, uh-huh. and then the gentleness eventually starts becoming kind of yes. kind of cursed, and then it becomes just hysterical towards the end. Yeah, and we don't want that ever. Uh, that's yeah. what I I have had some really big people go after me, and I've been gentle throughout the whole process. <laughs> that takes a strong man. <laughs> It, it is, though. It's, it's values we all have to learn. Um, with our last few minutes here, is there anything else that you'd like to make sure and mention that we didn't have a chance to talk to about today? Um, I, th- I think that probably the most critical difference is to look at it as that we're not treating a behavior. We're not treating you know, a skill that you know, for numbers or letters or colors or sit in your seat. But what we're really trying to do is look at what those core deficits are in this child build up those weak areas and smooth things out. So we're really trying to treat the core deficits of autism and empower a child so they'll have a better quality of life. And that's the bottom line for me. That's a a wonderful bottom line. If a parent doesn't have an RDI center in their area, could they come for a brief type of a training? Um, What we usually do for out-of-state people is that I'll have them in for a day and a half go through the evaluation process, the parent training, all that, and then we exchange videos back and forth. Oh, what a great idea. So then actually that lessens their need to come in to see me, too. So they come in for a full day and a half to work with you? Mm Yes. And then uh, after a couple weeks, if they send a videotape of what they're doing at home, then I can critique that and then keep them on the road. Oh, that is is really And now with the Internet, we also upload the videos so you don't have to even mail them. Yeah, that would make it even better. Wow. Um, and, and, and extremely, I guess, would be affordable, too. I mean, really, when I and I think of all the different type of therapies that are out there, this sounds to me um, very logic in terms of affordability. Is, is there any insurance coverage from anybody on this? Uh, it's starting to happen out on the West Coast, but in the East, where I think we're still stuck about 25 years ago. Really? Yeah. I never would have thought that. Yeah, I say that sarcastically. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's very sad. Well, I feel very bad for uh, Georgia. Um, therapists have been cut um, in half for services that they can offer, and they're really scrambling down in that state. It's been very huh. tragic down there. And I'm sorry for all of our Georgia patients who... Um, I've recently had their services cut. Okay, let's get these uh, websites out one more right. time. So uh, the general for all RDI is rdi-connect. No, it's no. R- all one word, all rdiconnect.com. Okay. And Autism Support Center is all one word, autismsupportcenter.org, because we're a nonprofit organization. Okay. Um, any books that are out there at this point? That- um uh, you can books are available on the RDI website, and the first one to look at is solving the relationship puzzle. That's what got me started in on it. And they also have an excellent DVD out that's about five hours long. Wow, that's a that's a great way for us visual learners to to kind of go on on that piece with the DVD. Tom, you've done so many different things in your life, and this is something that's 
how long have you been doing RDI now? Uh, about two and a half years, and I, I got into it largely out of my own professional frustration because I I, re- I couldn't get any further with, with a lot of kids, and it's like, well, a kid keeps growing up. You know, what else can we do? <laughs> right, right. And and this is you're you're thinking this is the the long term for you at this point. Oh, definitely, um, because this is tailored for. Kids from two and a half on up to 18, 22, 25. Yeah. Wonderful to hear. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Tom Brown, for being okay. part of our show. And we'll be back with you next week. Have a good week. Bye-bye. Sensory Learning Center would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Betsy or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Betsy Hicks.